National French Fry Day is July 13th, and to celebrate, Lamb Weston is calling chefs across the country to join Fry Tour America. Put your state on the map by submitting a fry recipe that celebrates your home state's unique culinary flavor, and you'll be entered for a chance to win $3,000. Only the top three chefs will win, but everyone who signs up will receive a free case of select Lamb Weston fries. Visit nationalfrenchfryday.com to sign up and join Lamb Weston's Fry Tour America. Refer to contest terms and conditions for details. Virtual brands are all the rage right now, but how do they work and how can they succeed? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Alex Cantor, the founder of Ordermark, to talk about virtual brands. Cantor's company includes Nextbyte, a creator and operator of virtual concepts, which operate for a primarily delivery customer out of a leased kitchen space at places like restaurants or hotels or ghost kitchens. Nextbyte's brands include Grilled Cheese Society and Hot Box by Wiz Khalifa. These concepts have exploded over the past year, plus as brands look for additional income during the pandemic while taking advantage of intense demand for delivery. Such brands offer a very different economic model from a traditional restaurant. They can quickly emerge and grow very quickly with relatively low capital costs. This can help brands grow very fast, but it also means there are a lot of entrants, and there are a lot of them. Alex talks about what differentiates successful virtual brands from non-successful virtual brands and how to best succeed at creating them. He also talks about his own history in the restaurant business and how it relates to what he is doing now. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Alex Cantor. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So I wanted to ask you about virtual brands, but first let's... um, uh, talk about your restaurant bona fides. You uh, actually grew up in the industry, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up as the fourth generation of of my family's restaurant business in LA called Cantor's Deli, which is one of the oldest and largest restaurants in all of Los Angeles. And um, had a very unique upbringing where I got to um, work in all the different positions at a very early age and became very passionate about helping restaurants embrace technology and, and adapt their businesses for the next generation. Mm-hmm. So is that, I mean, you do you, uh, like, cause you're right now, you're, um, you know, given your current job within the technology space, I mean, you, you fall back on those experiences quite a bit. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like, um, you know, I, Growing up in the family business, I, I really looked at Canners as a as a test ground, as a playground to, you know, to to try new things and and bring in new tech. And I, I had a lot of room to experiment and and continue to to you know bring in new ways to reach customers outside of our four walls. And and learned a lot in that process. And I've definitely applied a lot of that those experiences watching you know watching my dad and the way that he would treat all of his employees like family. I've, I've definitely embraced that coming into Ordermark and, and, and the tech company that we're, we're scaling right now. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about, I guess, where you got to, uh, uh, you know, where you went from uh, the family deli to Ordermark. Yeah. So, you know, I, I growing up, a, a lot of the times I would hear, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, but I love proving, you know, to my family that change was good, that technology could really, you know, help our business. And 
Um, I would run around to all these restaurant conferences, like a kid in a candy store, just signing up for everything and trying out uh, new new products and services. And I, I really, you know, I, I understood that delivery could be a very powerful thing for, for my family's restaurant business and started experimenting with all the different platforms like DoorDash and Postmates and Uber Eats, et cetera. Um, and after finding a lot of success growing um, the delivery business at Canners, I realized that there was a lot of challenges for restaurants to embrace online ordering and technology. And each of these systems were designed independently. Um, we had 14 different platforms running out of our kitchen, which meant nine tablets, two laptops, and a fax machine just to manage all those incoming orders. And talking to you know many other restaurants in my network, I realized, um, first of all, that many restaurants were experiencing you know the challenges involved with bringing these platforms into their business and um, around 2017 you know a team of team of co-founders we, we got together and, and really wanted to put our heads together to solve this specific problem and make it really easy um, for restaurants to, to embrace online ordering and technology and really wanted to take a step back and just reimagine the entire online ordering experience from scratch in a kitchen um, and making it as simple as possible to, to give restaurants this powerful um, product to manage their entire delivery business, to have one place to look at reporting, um, to have one place to make menu changes and push out updates. So um, we've, we've come a long way over the last couple of years and, and really, um, you know, our, our, our goal as a, as a company is to help um, drive even more incremental revenue and order volume into you know, restaurants and kitchens that have underutilized capacity and the foundation of our technology that we built to aggregate all these incoming orders is actually becoming the, the infrastructure to help power even, even, you know, more products and services. And we've started launching this whole new side of our business called NextFight, which is um, our virtual restaurant uh, portfolio where we're, we're spinning up these concepts that only exist online and teaching restaurants how to become fulfillment partners um, for these new brands, new menus, new concepts, and, um, and turning on, you know, an extra 10, 20, 30 online orders a day out of these kitchens that um, already have all these fixed costs associated with running the business. So it's been a great way, especially in a, in a, in a post pandemic world to help um, restaurants drive even further incremental revenue into their, into their kitchens. And, um, and it's been a really exciting area of growth for our business as well. So does NextBite has its own virtual brands, yes? Uh, yes, NextBite is essentially a group of uh, today about 15 virtual restaurant brands that we've brought to life. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell me about some of them. Yeah, so uh, one of my favorites is actually one of our earliest concepts, which is called Grilled Cheese Society. Um, it's a fun grilled cheese concept that we've brought to over 100 cities now. Um, we've got restaurants fulfilling orders for this very specific grilled cheese brand that's, you know, a handful of, of great grilled cheese sandwiches. And um, it's low food cost for the restaurant. It's really easy to produce. Um, they just have to carry very specific ingredients from whoever their food supplier is. Um, we train them, you know, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is the kind of packaging it goes in. And, um, and we do all the work to really spread the awareness of this concept and this brand, both promoting it within the online ordering platforms themselves and also 
um, our own direct-to-consumer marketing effort where we're essentially um, you know, targeting people who live within three to five miles delivery radius of each of our Grilled Cheese Society fulfillment partner locations and targeting them with social media ads and, and other ways to, to you know, help spread the awareness that these concepts are available in their market um, to new to new menu. And, you know, there are a lot of places, particularly around the country, that don't have an entire restaurant dedicated to just grilled cheese sandwiches. And, and the food is, is delicious, amazing. Um, and, and, you know, we, when, we, when we build these brands, we're really building these um, kind of focused niche concepts centered typically around a specific item or a particular dish. Um, we've also partnered with some celebrities as well um, at the end of last year. We collaborated with Wiz Khalifa, the rapper, to bring to life um, a new virtual restaurant brand called Hotbox by Wiz Khalifa, um, which is sort of a stoner menu, a, a menu that you would find munch, you know, munchy sort of food on it. And, um, you know, from, from mac and cheese bites to, to wings and just stuff that does really well with a late night crowd and on college campuses and that was a really fun collaboration that we did. And when we, when we brought that one to market, we were able to leverage um, Wiz Khalifa's social media influence. You know, he has 35 million followers on Instagram. Um, and, and there's that immediate brand recognition and awareness. And people were very excited to try it. There was a lot of people requesting it in their city. And, um, and we're still continuing to spread that brand. It's not a pop-up. It's not a one-month, you know, promotion. It's, we're, we're really thinking about um, building long-term brands um, that are going to exist, you know, in the years to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's, uh, wh- I mean, how, um, I guess, well, the, f- the first question is like, we've seen over the past eh, two months, um, a pretty big surge in restaurant sales. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of brands wanted to use, why virtual brands became popular over the past year is that a lot of, uh, a lot of companies had like excess capacity. My concern now is that excess capacity is running out. How does a virtual brand survive during this particular time? How do you prevent the? Uh, how do you prevent as a, as someone with with virtual brands the idea that somebody could start you know doesn't have the capacity to deal with that virtual brand and then they get distracted by their core menu? Yeah, so it's it's an excellent question. So we we actually um, formulated and brought to market Nextbite in a pre-pandemic world. Our first our first restaurants went live at the end of 2019, um, with the understanding and with the idea that you know there's there are potentially 700,000 restaurants in the U.S. and we believe that 90 plus percent of them had that extra capacity already. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're in and out, there's a line out the door at all times of the day. There's no extra capacity in that kitchen. If you're pretty much everyone else, there are at least certain day parts or um, times where you can handle that extra order volume. And we're not, you know, we're not talking about bringing in an extra couple hundred orders a day. It's really um, layering in, you know, some incremental orders on a daily basis that that are very easy for the existing business to handle. When we think about the idea that restaurants are already you know, operationally challenging, we, we, we can't come in and disrupt that further. So when we're bringing in a concept, it's got to be something that's really easy to execute, you know, ideally ingredients that are potentially already in that restaurant as it is. And um, that's why we're, we're focused on really limited menus too. We're not asking restaurants to buy new equipment or 
you know, cook anything that's too complicated here. It's, it's really straightforward. And, and we've dialed in that process really well. Um, now, of course, in the height of the pandemic, um, there was more excess capacity than there probably ever will be in, in, in restaurant history, because when dining rooms are shut down, the only order volume that's happening is for it to go and, and online. Um, and now that restaurants have reopened again, um, I would say just the, the amount of excess capacity may have decreased, but um, many, many restaurants still have a lot of slow times during the day. Um, you know, you, you, you think of like when we talk to a lot of restaurants, we'll hear things like, you know, Sunday brunch, I'm slammed. Can I do virtual brands all the other times on, on every day and then just pause, mm -hmm. pause the orders or omit those hours for you know 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sunday? Um, so it's, it's really, you know, and we have brands for different times of the day as well. One of our one of our concepts is called Huevo Rito. It's a breakfast burrito concept. Um, that particularly does well from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m., um, which is a great option for restaurants that are maybe you know sitting sitting there not too busy in the morning time. M many restaurants don't even open until 11 a.m., so there, there's an opportunity to even bring in you know one one person um, to to run the operation in in the kitchen just to handle these extra orders, and then you know maybe they turn it off after 11 a.m. and and start their normal day. So. Mm -hmm. So, um, so how does the, uh, I mean, how does a revenue model work? Do they, um, they give you a, a cut of all the, they take the sales and the revenue and they give you a cut. How does it work? Is it similar to franchising? Um, no, it's, it's, it's a little bit different here. So we're actually, um, we are the, the parent restaurant group here. Um, we basically have set it up so that we pay our fulfillment partner restaurants um, 55% of the gross sales to make the food for these brands. Of course, the online ordering company is taking their chunk right off the top. Um, we're keeping a piece that we typically spend towards marketing and promoting the brand. And then we're paying the restaurant 55% of the gross sales um, of all these incremental orders that we're bringing into their kitchen. And the average food cost on these orders is typically in the 25 to 30% range, all in with packaging and everything. Um, so if, if our restaurants don't have to add any extra staff um, or you know, increase their costs in any way, typically we're hearing from our restaurants that the incremental revenue and the incremental orders that we're layering on top of their existing business sometimes has upwards of 30% profit margins, which obviously is unheard of in the restaurant industry. Um, typically, re you know, restaurants are aiming to, to make between five or 10% profit margins if you're lucky. Um, at Canner's Deli, at my family's restaurant, we, we typically are benchmarking to hit 3% profit margin and oftentimes fall short of that. So to be able to take a fixed cost business and layer on this extra revenue on top of everything that's happening, um, it's a great way for restaurants to really take in extra profitable orders on top of their their existing operation mm -hmm. right yeah well it's uh it's 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 great when you can leverage your existing um labor and equipment and real estate and all that other stuff um you know and it it uh it, it makes this trend so fascinating and the fact that you can take these brands and in in relatively short order um have these things all over the place um you know selling uh, selling grilled cheese sandwiches at 100 locations is 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 pretty fascinating. Where um, where do you think this trend goes long term? 
So, you know, I, I, I think that there will always be a desire for people to go to restaurants for the experience, mm-hmm. um, to celebrate, to go on dates, to you know, take your take your family, um, just to go be served and have that experience. And then I think there will be this whole other group of consumers that will, you know, look, look to order from delivery optimized brands. And, and it's already, it's already been happening for a long time, but we have a chance to build, um, menus and concepts with, with a delivery first mindset. We're not building food that's meant to be eaten in a restaurant. We're, we're specifically designing and optimizing for, you know, an arrival experience that's being delivered maybe 20 minutes after the food has been prepared. So we have, we have a chance to um, really eliminate things like French fries and, you know, certain foods that, that typically don't hold up well in delivery versus trying to take an existing restaurant and adapting it for an online ordering friendly experience, which is a lot harder for many restaurants to do. Um, of course, if you think about, you know, the wing stops and the Domino's pizzas of the world, those were designed with delivery in mind from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why they do so well in a, in a delivery environment when, when people are, you know, shifting more and more to digital and ordering from their smartphone. So, you know, I think we're, we're, we're looking at a lot of categories of food. We're looking at menu trends. We're looking at um, taste preferences and, and things that are happening internationally and um, using a lot of data to determine, you know, what sorts of experiences do people crave? What do they want? Um, what sort of gaps exist in the market? What, what does demand look like? And um, and then when we bring these concepts to market, we, we believe that, you know, it's really opening up the, the consumer experience uh, to more optionality, um, especially if you look at second, you know, second tier markets or suburbs where there's not a ton of optionality. Um, it's a great way to bring new flavors, new experiences, new um, types of cuisines to areas where it maybe never existed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we you know we're, we we think this is a long term natural evolution of of the restaurant industry and sort of the e commerce phase of the restaurant industry happening before our eyes. If you think about retail and what happened to a lot of brick and mortar businesses 10, 20, over the last 10, 20 years, um, you had you know, clothing stores and jewelry stores and whatnot moving online and figuring out how to reach online shoppers. And then once people got used to shopping online, so regularly, brands started to emerge in an online only format um, that only existed in a warehouse or online and, and they were shipping it to you, regardless of having a physical location that you can walk into. Um, and as long as the product was good, the experience was good, the expectations were met, um, there's a chance for brands to emerge in an online-only format, and the same thing is happening now in the restaurant world. Mm-hmm. I assume that you saw the Chick-fil-A news, I guess, uh, from from last week on their on their virtual brand. You see that one? Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of excitement around this stuff. I think oh. I think a lot of chains are realizing their their potential and and trying to leverage the idea that, you know, they do have all the, this underutilized capacity in, in these kitchens. And, um, I, you know, with, with chilies and some of the, the bigger examples in the space, like Bloomin' Brands, what they did with Tender Shack, it, it feels like um, people are just starting to get educated of, of, you know, what they could be doing out of their existing operation. And um, it's still, I would say, very early days in, in exploring 
um, the potential to take one kitchen and turn it into a fulfillment center for four or five brands. Um, and, and I think everyone who is looking at some of the numbers that are being published right now by It's Just Wings or some of these other concepts are sitting there scratching their heads saying, how can we get in on this? Um, what, what, you know, what can we be doing here? But there's, there's not a ton of history to look at. Um, there's a big learning curve to getting this right. Um, a lot of restaurants realize that they could be doing more out of their kitchen, but they don't even know where to start. They don't know how to build the right, you know, digital marketing strategy and the menus and the technology that's needed to power it so that it's not disruptive. And that's, that's kind of what we come in and do from a, from a turnkey perspective. We've thought through the logistics, the operations, the marketing, the SEO within the platforms. There's, there's so much that goes into getting this stuff right. And our goal is to like make it as easy for these restaurants to participate and um, do what they do best, which is put their heads down and make food. Yeah. And then we basically can handle that, you know, the machine behind it that makes it, that makes it uh, fly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the fascinating thing about Chick-fil-A is they theoretically don't have the capacity. They do 6 million a box in a standalone location. And as far as I know, that's the first major fast food brand to deal, to do with it, do something like this. Uh, nobody else has really needed to do it, but, um, you know, and, and they've been fairly aggressive on ghost kitchens. Um, and you know, they developed their own, you can see a scenario in which, which they use this to develop an entirely new brand, um, from the ground up, which to me is really just a fascinating, I mean, I'm as, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with that Chick-fil-A situation. Um, yeah, well, it, you know, I, I think, um, looking back, like it's, it's not entirely uh, like virtual brand or ghost ghost kitchen necessarily, but like what Taco Bell has been doing for years with pizza hut or KFC of like sharing the same infrastructure, paying one rent, but running two kitchens or two brands, um, out of a single unit is, is kind of like the first version of this. Um, I mean, fat burger has been doing it forever with, with, a. Uh, with buffaloes and and the idea of of leveraging one kitchen staff, one rent, one overhead to to service multiple brands and concepts is um, something that's been happening for a while. But I think this is just the next generation of that. Mm-hmm. What are the best strategies to make how uh, to make a virtual brand work? What you what separates the best virtual brands uh, from from the weaker ones? Um, well, first and foremost, the food has to be excellent. You know, if you're, you can market as much as you'd like, um, spend as much money as you want on marketing and, and all that. And you might get a lot of people to try food for the first time. Um, but if it's not an absolutely amazing and delicious, craveable experience, the, the lifetime value dies pretty fast. And you have to really think about repeat purchase behavior and building, you know, loyalty and we we like to strive to create that experience. Um, we've got a great culinary team. We've got a test kitchen where we're constantly iterating and coming up with recipes and, and working on brand development. And um, you know, I think when we when we tried at first to to just create brands and put them online, um, it didn't really move the needle because the, the thought there wasn't too much thought that was going into it. Um, I think there's a lot of restaurants that are you know, thinking about the ingredients that they have on their menu and trying to just light out lots of concepts running out of their, their operation. But when they go to put it online, it's not doing very well. It's not driving a lot of incremental sales because 
Um, it, it wasn't as thoughtful as it needs to be. There's so much that has to go into developing a brand and creating it from scratch. And, and you know, I think the, the virtual brands that are doing the best right now are probably brands that already existed before the whole virtual restaurant craze and, and already have built in, you know, marketing and visibility. I think marketing is definitely one component of it, but when we're thinking about building long-term concepts and brands and building um, menus that are sustainable, it really, I think, is going to come down to thinking through that whole delivery experience, designing you know, restaurants with, with the arrival experience in mind, not just the pickup experience, because it's got to sit in a car for 20 minutes, which means packaging matters. It means you know, all these little details need to be thought through. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't haven't yet asked you about uh, third party delivery, but one of the concerns that I would have about these brands going forward is the fact that unlike, say, you know, like a McDonald's or even a Chili's, that you rely almost entirely on a third party to do the customer interaction. And um, and, you know, I mean, as as a customer on numerous occasions, I've had problems with that interaction uh, with a third-party delivery service at a far higher rate than if I was to go to Domino's or another self-delivery company. And how you manage that on a, on a, 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 at a virtual brand, because that's pretty important. Yeah, well, you know, we, um, because we've, we've been in business helping restaurants with their online ordering strategies for, for years now, we've developed some pretty amazing relationships with the different major players in this space and have really thought through, you know, how can we collaborate and build better, better tools, better ways to, to get food to customers, better um, expectation setting around timing. You know, I, I do think that there's still room to grow here. And, and you're right. Like when you, when you interact with a restaurant directly, it's, it's one less step of, of, of error happening. Um, of course, there's still going to be times where people mess up your food or forget an item in the bag. If you're going to pick it up, um, and, and that stuff will happen. And, and we, we still have the proper means to take care of those situations when it does happen. Um, but it's, you know, it's really about trying to understand what are the reoccurring problems that come up and how do we, how do we, you know, do as much as we can to prevent that from happening and then making it, making up for it when it does happen too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 the, these online ordering companies are definitely getting better over time. I remember even just a couple of years back, there were less drivers on the streets. And so sometimes like the order would be ready at the restaurant. It would take 15 or 20 minutes for a driver to show up after that to pick it up, which, you know, every minute that's going by, it's, 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 um, it's taking away from, from the intended experience, especially, you know, if you're thinking about certain foods that have, you know, very, very uh, short window of, of, of staying crispy or, you know, whatnot. Um, so I think really um, focusing on, on how, making sure that, first of all, our brands are on the best platforms out there and um, also creating um, the right processes for, for making, making it up um, when, when it, making up for it when it doesn't happen the way it's intended. Mm-hmm. Alex, this was great. I really appreciate you joining me this week on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good good conversation. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive. But before we go, I would just like to remind you that we have started memberships at Restaurant Business. If you are looking for a free month, please register and use the code MAZE21 to get your free trial month of a subscription to RB Memberships. This week's episode of A Deeper Dive was edited, as always, by Kimberly Kazmarek. 
artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. National French Friday is July 13th, and to celebrate, Lamb Weston is calling chefs across the country to join Fry Tour America. Put your state on the map by submitting a fry recipe that celebrates your home state's unique culinary flavor, and you'll be entered for a chance to win $3,000. Only the top three chefs will win, but everyone who signs up will receive a free case of select Lamb Weston fries. Visit nationalfrenchfryday.com to sign up and join Lamb Weston's Fry Tour America. Refer to contest terms and conditions for details.